from a neighborhood on the outskirts of Baltimore City, USA. This is for your infotainment. And to complicate matters further, here's our host, John Walker. Oh, Ronald. I kind of started to feel it that time. I think, oh. this, uh, I think this introducing or announcing thing is, is really, uh, you're starting to wear it well. Coffee. You think it's coffee? Yep. We did make a pot right before we started this episode. <laughs> Could you imagine communicating with one word the whole time? Coffee. Yep. It's possible. It is. Or we try that. It is. Possible. Yep. Well. Hmm. Now. Talk. So. Hey. What? Life. Nice. Same. Strange. Sometimes. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I could do that. Yeah. I feel like I could do that. It limits somewhat the subtlety of what you communicate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd get primal. Is that yeah. what the... Okay, that's the... Right. You would lose the ability to have like a nuanced conversation, and you would get stuck in these loops of just like, well, we got as far as we could get, and now violence would yeah. ensue or something. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think that would get rid of euphemism. I feel like euphemism is, is the death of wit. In a lot of ways. I'm like, not sure that one word is the soul of wit, though. <laughs> it's, just, it's just something about, like, just tried and true euphemisms. Like, cliches that people use all the time where cliches. they just start talking and, yeah, but like, and they don't say anything original. Yeah. It's good to see you, John. It's good to see you, too. Well, here we are in episode three of For Your Infotainment. What the? And I think we're starting to kind of settle in. But I got news for you. I'm starting to get kind of worried. Hmm. As you go from the excitement of a, a brand new podcast, and you know how, like, when you have a new podcast, people roll out mm -hmm. the welcome. <laughs> Everyone's interested. People are leaning out of their windows with their hand yeah. up to their ear. What's that? A new podcast? Yeah. And then the second week, it seems like there's this uh, cricket phenomenon that kicks in where people oh, are like, man. oh, yeah, just another podcast. It's part of the background noise. So I thought we kind of needed to pull out our, our big guns, and I was thinking about what kind of topics... You know, what, what what kind of topics equal clicks on the internet? Um, and I think Star Wars is one of those big topics. I think so. And I know you're not necessarily a Star Wars guy, and we'll get into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. When I thought of doing this show, I knew that if I wanted to kind of come clean, what I might want to do is talk about what I've always called my Star Wars problem, mm -hmm. you know, which is I grew up with it. It hit me at just the right age right. to sort of become like the main story of my my super young life i was four mm -hmm. when i first saw it and i was you know so five six seven as i began to understand storytelling at all it was against the backdrop of those movies being huge and of like having to wait three years for the next one and the the toys were really cool and then there were some comics that were really cool and stuff as i was growing up star wars was it it stayed in this great state of like oh that was the best you know right, right. and then they were going to make these new movies and then we all know what happened with the prequels they weren't great movies no. So at the end of the prequels, a person like myself has this idea of Star Wars fandom kind of, you know, it's, I'm branded by it on a certain level, but mm. I'm also having to say that at least half the films uh, are not that great. Right, right. And then the ones that are great are, you know, 30 years old at this point. Mm. So what is the relevance of it? What, is it? what does it mean to still be clinging to something as a fan that you've known that, that, that long is sort of a subject that I thought was kind of interesting. So first experience with star wars <clears throat> my mom was a really big fan of like secondhand shops and goodwill places and i got uh a couple star wars action figures when i was six mm -hmm. and i remember getting them and my mom cleaned them and everything because we got them from the store and i um i went to a catholic 
uh, middle school, I mean, like preschool into like the developing ages or whatever. And I wound up getting a nun took my toys. So fast forward to um, she like never you took gave, him to school and they took were him taken? to school, never gave him back. Oh. Fast forward to me as a 13 year old guy looking in uh, a comic book collectors magazine. And I was like, man, why don't I look those toys up that I had that I had gotten mm-hmm. so un out of the package was like a hundred fifty dollars at the time in the package was like two thousand dollars and that was when i was 13 that was my first experience with star wars <laughs> first ever i mean i had i the the, the characters look cool mm-hmm. all i knew were the toys so yeah. darth vader luke chewbacca r2d2 that was it here's what affects it my mom was a trekkie Ah, so she took me to a Star Trek convention like she even like dressed as one for Halloween one time. Like it's it got it got heavy duty. You know what I mean? So that affected it. That that directly affected my exposure to Star Wars. So I kind of my mom was such a she wrote sci fi. She like didn't tell me. She's like, you can't read any of it. It's a little adult. But I knew that she was heavily involved in sci fi. And that was my experience with Star, anything with ships was Star Trek. Yeah. So. So did that imprint on you more? Did you find yourself being yeah. a, more of a Star Trek fan? Yes. Growing up? I mean, it's not important that we necessarily address things as a fan because that does indicate like a lack of critical thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To say you're a fan of something. But I think that's exactly what I'm talking about when I say that I have a problem with Star Wars is that critical thinking exists on one level and then Star Wars hovers in a level above that in a strange yeah, yeah. way. And it's like, it's so mainstream. Like Star Wars was so huge yeah. and so mainstream. It was like the air that I breathe, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's similar to the way I feel when I have to say, you know, one of my favorite bands is the Beatles or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, you, you don't have to work that hard to be a fan of the Beatles. You don't mm-hmm. have to look that far to see Star Wars, you know? The way that it felt like it was opening up this vista of, yeah. of it could be so many different planets. It could be so many different worlds. Did you feel that kind of connection to Star Trek? Like it was something that you could think about all the time and it was wide open? Well, yeah. I mean, the world's like, you know, the original and then, which wasn't very long, and then the next generation and then all that stuff. But, you know, it's interesting. I actually saw the the, the newer ones, the prequels. I saw those in the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so here's the the interesting thing about that. I think that Star Trek is... I'm sorry, Star Wars is kind of the blueprint for everything that we see, sci-fi-wise, movie-wise. It, it is, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It is. Like, I mean, it's like, I, it was the, before it came out, it was it was an anomaly that they would make, that they would spend all this money on this weird, childish yeah, yeah. fantasy, this juvenile-seeming fantasy, this simplistic story, yeah. and then it became such a hit. And what people are always saying now is that there's this rush to kind of recreate that kind of energy, and, you know, nowadays everyone's very concerned about whether we're like dumbing down entertainment for children because the, so. the biggest mass entertainments are are based on things that were meant to appeal to children. Right. But I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would really go there. I think that you can be sophisticated and be a fantasy or you can be fun and still have a lot going on between the ears. But yes, there is a there is a line in the sand where you can look at what types of movies were blockbusters. Yeah. And it, it you know, Star Wars is one that a lot of people point to as right. after this, the studios were going for a different kind of uh, mass audience. Yeah. Yeah, rather than trying to make definitely. movies for grown-ups. And it was like it was like when you were watching the new movies, you felt like they're accessories for this already. They're they're cups for this already. Mm-hmm. They're and I didn't feel like that when I watched the first set of the Star Wars movies. 
the prequels are almost like Michael Jordan coming back to the Wizards, right? Like <laughs> Michael Jordan. I'm going to pretend I understand that sports analogy. Okay, so, I'm sure it's a great analogy. So Michael Jordan came back as an older gentleman. Yeah. Still, still a legend. So he was scoring 20 a game still. Yeah. Which is better than most. <laughs> and 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 I think that sometimes people forget that th- we're talking about the worst of the best. I've actually got some other people lined up that we're going to hear uh, on this. And we'll come back in a second to one of the other questions I wanted to get to with you. Uh, but we've got, uh, you know, you, were, you mentioned something about collecting and that you your toys, you looked at how much they would have been worth. I've got uh, uh, Ben Ray from Atomic Books, and he's talking a little bit about what he sees as kind of problems with the kind of fan community and the sort of people who see themselves as nerds when they're mm. actually into something as mainstream as Star Wars. And he also, uh, although he's talking about comic books, he kind of blows... Uh, a hole in that idea of what something might be worth, uh, you know. And it's an interesting conversation oh, there. Wow. And we also have Mike White from the Great Projection Booth podcast talking about uh, an episode his show recently did where they, they cover movies and they just go really in depth every episode and they talk, they interview whoever they can and they, you know, bring people on to talk. And he did an episode about Star Wars and he said that the fans that he encountered, uh, uh, the Star Wars fans that he, he encountered, like what he posted on Facebook was, I never knew what Dick Star Wars fans were until I did an episode <laughs> about it. So he's here to talk a little bit about his podcast, his experience doing a show about Star Wars, and then also some other some other issues, you know, some other similar related questions to his podcast. And then uh, last but not least, um, I've also got Skiz Sizik, uh, who you've probably heard on the show already. Oh, yeah. He, uh, you know, although he's an underground filmmaker and musician, one of the films that influenced him a lot as a kid was Star Wars. So even though that's an unlikely influence for someone who kind of works in the, the margin and the underground, um, you know, he uh, was influenced by it. And I think that is testament to how important Star Wars seemed when it came out. We'll be back after that. I'm Ben Ray, and this is the sound of my voice. When I thought of you for this show, I thought of a conversation we had uh, maybe a couple of years ago where I was talking about that show Comic Book Men, the Kevin Smith oh, atrocity. Yeah. And I was saying maybe there was a good version of that show that could exist. And you sort of said, no, you didn't think so because you just... And it, I, it really has rung in my ears ever since you said that nerd culture, such as that show would try to sort of present it, doesn't really exist in the sense that you're not an outsider if you're into Marvel comics and Marvel movies anymore. You're not an outsider if you're into Star Wars. I mean, if you like movies, if you like comics, if you like any TV... Uh, all of the stuff that is uh, mainstream now is, you know, Marvel Comics are mainstream. DC mm-hmm. Comics superheroes are mainstream. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're the biggest summer blockbuster movies. So you're not, I mean, if you're following what is the, what the mainstream is following, or if you're into what the mainstream is now into, yeah. not, not by necessarily your own sort of uh, path. Like, let, let's just say I've always liked... Green Arrow. Well, now that there's a Green Arrow TV show, and that Green Arrow TV show has a certain level of popularity, the mainstream has kind of moved over into it, so I am no longer marginalized or an outsider because of that interest. Mm-hmm. That interest has gone mainstream. Yeah. Now, the, the, now, the mainstream can move away from these things and then marginalize them again at a later date, but there is absolutely nothing edgy, obscure, 
Well, I mean, it was never edgy in the first place, but there's nothing obscure <laughs> or non-mainstream about being into Star Wars. And it's only going to get worse this Christmas when the Star Wars movies come out. And then every <laughs> asshole in the world is going to be like, oh, yeah, my favorite movies are Star Wars. Well, I don't give a shit. I, you know, I don't care. But um, And comic book men, it's the same thing. It's like all of that. They're into, like, I, I guess more the ephemera now and the collecting. And maybe that collecting is kind of what is nerdy, but it's also kind of hoardery now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like kind of weird. And, and I've never been, even though I used to work for the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide as the editor of it, um, I've never been particularly fond of the collector's market or the secondary market to begin with. Right. Um, where, you know, these things have these values and then you want to try and get money for them. And I, I don't know, it's just, it, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. It's uh, as somebody that owns a store and sells stuff for money. Um, <laughs> but I, I try not to sell things at collector's prices because I want things to be enjoyed. Like, comics should be read. They shouldn't be, you know, put in some sort of plastic case and graded and then mounted to the wall, which is, there's a service that does that. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, TV shows like Comic Book Men really encourage uh, terrible things in people. Like, mm -hmm. you know, comic books, by and large, they're not worth anything anymore, especially the new ones. And, right. and they're not, they're probably not ever going to be. But every day, I get phone calls from people looking to sell their comic book collections or mm -hmm. selling their, sell their comic books. And, you know, I, I, they don't believe me when I tell, when they tell me what they have and I tell them what, what they have is worthless. They, they don't believe me. So I'm like, well, please go on to someone else and see, you know, if you can, you know, sell it somewhere. I mean, inherently, the only value or the only inherent value that they have is whatever somebody is willing to give you for them. Right. And, you know, I'll give you $5 for a long box of 500 comics mm -hmm. and uh, I'm going to put them out for 25 cents each. That's, that's, that's about it. Well, a lot of those, that idea of comic books being worth something anyway was based on scarcity. Because people got them, like my dad, when he, he was a kid and he read comics, he would occasionally lament. He didn't hold on to any of his, uh, uh, like, Scrooge McDuck comics that he had when he was a kid. He didn't hold on to any of his, like, action comics. Not like in a, you know, in that they would have been worth something, but the reason they were worth something is because nobody held on to them. Well, and they ripped the covers off and they traded them and everything. And so, like, the only per like you said, the only person who values something like that for such an obscure amount is someone who wants that specific thing, but the actual value is so imaginary. Right. And so, I mean, that, so that's just part, one part of the, the equation, scarcity. There also has to be demand. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, like, one of the things that was happening uh, that I saw, there, there's uh, this thing called the Platinum Age of Comics, which is, you know, that it happened before the Golden Age, and this is a lot of, like, comics that collected newspaper strips and things like that before there were actually superheroes or the, there were other comic books and um, I worked with a, a, a guy that uh, he was my boss when I worked for the for a comic book company and uh, he was an advisor in the Reagan administration and I once had a job uh, value an employee job evaluation with him that went 12 hours in which he quoted scripture and I was like it was that has to be one of the most horrible experiences of my. I got a good evaluation, but it's like I don't. I have to sit here and listen to you quote the Bible to me, and I've got to put up with this shit for twelve hours to get fifty cents more an hour. This is fucking bullshit. Um, but he was very much into uh, uh, the platinum era, platinum age of comics, mm -hmm. and he believed that they were superior and that this is what people would want and blah blah blah. And I kept trying to explain to him that 
these people are your age, dude, and they're all dying. And when they die, yeah. no one's going to give a shit about this stuff anymore. They're going to move on to the... And that's exactly what's happened. Like, the Platinum Age, I mean, there's a handful of people that know, care, or remember what it is. But by and large, most people don't give a shit about that. Uh, and they've moved on to the, to the next thing. So it's, it's, it's not only scarcity. And it should be noted that a lot of the comics that we're talking about uh, in the golden era, or a golden age of comics, like the Supermans and stuff like that, their print runs were in the millions, which is far bigger than the print runs today oh yeah of comic good point books. good point um but at the same time nobody saved those comics and they're old and they've deteriorated and yes we hear this story all the time yeah i had so many comics and my mom threw them out or whatever and it's like yeah thanks because that's what made these other comics valuable mm -hmm. but at the same time if it's a if it's a if it's a butt much character that nobody gives a shit about then that's not going to be worth as much as like Superman number one or mm -hmm. Detective Comics twenty seven with first appearance of Batman because those are the characters people care about. So it's got to be scarcity plus demand. Otherwise, yeah. it's just scarce. There is the potential, and I'm saying this is somebody that used to work for the Price Guide. This is the way it works. Let's say there are fourteen known copies of Action Comics number one in the world. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's say as collectors, you own four, and as collectors, I own four. Now this is what we'll do. I will sell you one of my copies for well over market value, right? Now, mm -hmm. so uh, th th this comic was selling for s maybe $500,000. I'm going to sell it to you for a million dollars. Now, you have just paid $500,000 over market value. What does that do to the other comics? It brings them all up to a million dollars. How many copies are you sitting on now? Five. How much money did you just make? About four and a half million dollars. Yeah, it, and that's exactly what happens. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's only a handful of people that have those comics, and they sell them back and forth to each other, and it drives up the price. That's hilarious. I had a, a few comics I just bought, and I was bagging them and boarding them, or I was about to, and then my wife came down to ask me something, and I stopped what I was doing because I was like, you know, as, as unembarrassed as I am about all the things I'm a fan of, I did not want the woman who sleeps with me to see me lovingly bagging and boarding <laughs> comics <laughs> and putting them away. It's like I didn't want that image in her head. Oh, the collector shame. I'd rather her picture me like with a sledgehammer knocking down a brick wall or something. Wait a minute, honey, I'm bagging my comics. Yeah, hold on a second. So my theory is, when you look at comic books, um, the people, it's a medium that's been dominated for years, for decades, by one genre, which is the superhero genre. Like, right. people think the comic books are a genre. They're not a genre. They're, totally not, they're yeah. a medium. And in that medium, you have different genres. And the one that has dominated for years has been uh, the superhero genre. Well, that has changed within the last few years. And now you have literary comics, you have alternative comics, you have a variety of different... There's horror and sci-fi comics that are coming back up again. That are There's, there's more diversity in mainstream comics now than mm -hmm. there's ever been, uh, ever. But the people... The, the, the people that read superhero comics um, are the ones that don't actually like comic books. <laughs> because, that's a good way of putting as it. somebody that's worked in a mainstream comic book shop, and, so, and here we carry some superhero titles, the people that are reading superhero comics traditionally are not the ones that are reading the literary comics. Mm. But the people that read the literary comics will, if it's a good superhero comic, right. pick up and read genre comics. They might have even gotten into comics that way, so right. they still have an affection for a so certain character or whatever. It's, yeah. the, it's the people that aren't shopping at traditional comic book shops are the ones that like comics as a medium, whereas the people that are shopping at traditional comic book shops, they don't, like, they don't give a shit about comics as mm -hmm. a medium. What they want to do is they want to follow their stories. Mm -hmm. They want to know what's going to happen to Green Lantern in the next step in the next issue and the actual comic as an art form or comic as a medium 
tends to mean very little to those people. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no reason why they wouldn't be familiar with Ghost World or they wouldn't be familiar with Fun Home. Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not familiar with these titles because these titles don't involve superheroes. Yeah. But they are great comics. Okay. Okay, that's, cool. That's it. No, that's good. I just wanted to say that people that like superhero comics don't really like comic books. <laughs> you wanted to stir some shit, yes. and I appreciate that. Yeah, good. <laughs> Hey, I'm Mike White from the Projection Booth. It was interesting to me, you mentioned something that I think that a lot of people have sort of encountered in different ways if they've dug into message boards. But you mentioned that until you did an episode on Star Wars, you didn't know what dicks Star Wars fans could be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just should wonder... know because I'm a, a Star Wars fan and I'm a dick. So it should get, get it through my thick skull. Right. But I mean, what what was it? Did you just get like, was there just a lot of super opinionated kind of feedback about the episode or what did people, did, were people picking it apart? How, how did that manifest? What, what made you, what made you make that observation? Well, there was just a lot of snarky comments on the IMDB message board. Like, oh, wow, I can't wait to not listen to this. And it's like, <clears throat> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and just things like that. And then there was one guy on Twitter who was just like, trying to start a debate with me about certain things from the films, especially like the special editions that he really liked and stuff. And he just, he was tweeting at me, tweeting at me, tweeting at me for like a couple hours and my phone's just blowing up. I'm like in an appointment. I can't, you know, yeah. answer my phone at the moment. And it's just beeping every time I get a new tweet. Finally, I get out of the office and I'm like, you know, reading all these tweets and it's just like, well, it makes total sense that young Anakin would replace old Anakin and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, all right, I just agree to disagree. You know, it's no, mm -hmm. no sense in trying to argue. Man, he just went off. <laughs> like, how dare you just brush me off with this, you know, three word response? And I'm like, Twitter is not a good place for this dude. If you want to email me or, you know, go on our Facebook group or, you know, we take feedback on the website, that's great. You know, we've got one guy who goes by the name The Foreign Viewer. And every few months he'll come in and just leave us reams of information and critiques and all this stuff about certain episodes. And he just goes on for so long that it's like a, it's a little bit of a chore to read through everything, but he is so insightful and has taken so much time and care to write out his thoughts and post his thoughts and everything that you owe it to him to read this stuff. And it's like, okay, great. And then sometimes it's like, okay, yeah, well, here's where I come in and da, 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 and respond to him much more of a better forum than Twitter. So <laughs> it was just kind of funny to, to get some of those things. And then of course the guy just changed his tune about the podcast. You know, the, the one guy who was tweeting at me, he has always been like, oh, listen to this week's episode. And then after that, he wrote back, he tweeted and was like, first half of this episode is pretty good. And then the second part, Mike just turns into a whiny bitch. And I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm like, <laughs> and of course I wrote back and I was just like, that's the most accurate description of an episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have in your notes for most episodes somewhere in there, like item four, be a whiny bitch. Oh, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much my, uh, my raison d'etre. Right. Well, I think that there is something about Star Wars, and it is something like I, it's funny that you say that because I am a Star Wars fan and like it imprinted on me. And that's how kind of a Star Wars fan I am. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of Star Wars fans that kind of self identify as the guardians of some, some truth about the, the thing that they love. And so, of course, when you put something out like that, they're going to be 
equally as appreciative that someone put that thought into it, but also uh, super critical of it because if it doesn't mold exactly to their their observation, their thought that they've always wanted to make, then it is going to be sort of like an affront. So I think, I don't know, there's something about Star Wars fandom that seems like it does, it lends itself to that kind of strong reaction. Do you think that's true? I mean, as a fan? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean... I, I was part of that whole The People versus George Lucas documentary. So, I mean, I, when I heard about that, I was so incensed that it was just like, I have to be part of this. You know, yeah. I have to get in on this. I have to express the opinions that I've been writing and saying for all these years. And those, a lot of those just carried right into the episode on it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really the whole... Um, the reason why the episode came about was listening to a book where I was just like, this is an amazing book. It is really telling people a whole lot, but there's more to the story. So it's like, let's get people turned on to this book and also, you know, kind of fill in some of the, the other things that aren't necessarily there. And that mm-hmm. just became this whole thing. And especially being able to play it into, you know, film preservation and the whole lack of the original Star Wars out there on the market kind of thing. So it, I was able to come at it through a couple different angles. But yeah, I definitely saw, like, if you didn't agree, if my overly strong opinions didn't match up to somebody else's overly strong opinions, it seemed like there was some trouble. You know, I tried to focus everything in just on the original Star Wars, but then, of course, the conversation is going to devolve quite a bit because... It's three nerds talking about stuff. You're going to get some, you know, tangents going on in there. And it is such a hot button, you know, topic of conversation. It is interesting. And I mean, I know people, it was, I was a probably a full grown adult before I realized there were people slightly older than me who were too old for it when it came out that thought it was cheesy and corny and have never been able to shake this kitty aspect to it my favorite one is the original star wars like that's the one that feels to me like a crazy film that came out of left field and if there'd never been another movie with those characters we would have had enough like i would still be chewing over that movie you know if it's it's a it's a complete story it's the only one of the movies that tells a complete story from beginning to end and it doesn't seem like it was written with the assumption of a franchise or a sequel. Right. And so I almost think it's unfair that that movie always gets pegged as the one that changed Hollywood because it's really, it's franchises and sequels that really changed Hollywood. Uh, in, in my mind, it's, you know, Star Wars itself is almost like, a, I mean, it, it's got like a weird independent spirit to it, in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you feel differently, but. No, I mean, it was that it was backed by any movie company at all was a miracle. I mean, 20th Century Fox was one of the last people that they pitched this thing to. So, yeah, it's kind of amazing that Fox would pick it up, and it's that whole story of, you know, if you want the new Sidney LeMay film, you have to take Star Wars, and then, you know, it turns around after the success, and if you want uh, Star Wars, you have to pick up the new Sidney LeMay film. But, right. yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely nobody was counting on this film, and that's the thing. You know, nobody was putting the money into it that it should have gotten nobody was putting the faith into it that it should have had to me it kind of feels like it's the second of a one-two punch between star wars and jaws i think that jaws really kind of opened up the world to this blockbuster mentality and then star wars just kind of fit the bill the next year and just really took people by storm that way and 
then nobody could look back. You know, it was Jaws, I think, was the first one to have those whole lines around the building. And Star Wars took advantage of that and moved it to a whole other level. Between Lucas and Spielberg in, the, in those late 70s, you couldn't really get in edgewise. And I guess, again, I can picture my friends who think of those, both of those directors as people who make movies for, for simpletons or children. But I can also think of both of them. I don't know. I, you know, I, there's a lot of arguments to be made about Spielberg, but you can't deny the talent of that, of just as a pure breathing cinema type filmmaker that he is. I think with George Lucas, it's a little bit more mysterious, but I still try to give him credit for. I don't know, for being this kind of weird visionary. Maybe, you know, maybe genius would be pushing it way too far, but visionary probably is fair <laughs> to say. You know, he had something in mind that does resonate. And, that do- and I mean, I would say, I, I would ask you maybe before I weigh in on it, but are we hopeful for the new Star Wars? I mean, how are you feeling about this new age of it being back, but seemingly in a different way that I, I would say is more encouraging? How do you feel about the, the chances I was one of those people, I wasn't waiting online for The Phantom Menace, but I was mm-hmm. definitely very excited for The Phantom Menace. I'm not going to get my hopes up again. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm just going to kind of wait and see. You know, I've seen what J.J. Abrams has done with the Star Trek franchise. I really liked that first Star Trek, did not like the second Star Trek, so the jury's still kind of out for me. So I'll, I'll be there, and I'll probably be there opening weekend, but I'm already to the point where I'm not going to watch any more previews. I'm not going to, you know, check out any TV specials, any of that kind of stuff. I just want to be surprised. You know, seeing Han Solo show up in that second preview was enough for me, you know, and I'm, okay, yeah, I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I need to know. My son is now seven, and maybe a year or two ago, he was kind of getting into Star Wars really, really for the first time. And I've, I, of course, am super excited to go there with him because it's part of the beginning of that of that excitement about movies. I feel I was four when I saw Star Wars, and, you know, and and it became a thing immediately for me. So my son was looking through the, the we have like the Blu-ray set. And to your point about the original Star Wars not being available uh, anywhere, it's the Blu-ray special edition set. But it was the only way to get them on HD at that point. So I picked up that set of all six films. And I showed him uh, Star Wars first and then Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi. And then he saw that set and he said, Dad, what's this one that says the uh, episode one, you know? <laughs> and I said, well, that's the one where Anakin is a little kid. And he said, oh, I want to see the one where Anakin is a little kid. And I said, so did I, son, <laughs> for 15 years. It does seem that whatever he jotted on that famous legal pad of his for the prequels was was just rushed past a lot of people who were excited to be working on Star Wars, and nobody stopped to say, wait a minute, let's take this apart. Like, I don't feel like anybody came in at a level like Lawrence Kasdan or uh, Marshall Lucas or Gary Kurtz or anyone like that who would have said... Um, this is stupid, George. <laughs> Let's right. do it this way. You know, it was a bunch of people who were like, awesome, I'm working on Star Wars. And a lot of people make that argument like, these movies are just movies and they shouldn't diminish your experience with the original thing. But I'm sorry, but if you are a real human being, you are going to take those experiences and then take them back to what you're familiar with. That's to make my point. I can't necessarily enjoy that first Matrix movie after seeing those second two Matrix movies. You know, it has Mm -hmm. those have retroactively ruined the first movie for me, which I absolutely hate because I love the first movie so much and it still should be 
that perfect movie that it was, but every time I'm watching it, I just keep thinking about the stupidity of those second two films. And that's another one where it's like you were talking about, you know, oh, they have plans for three more. And almost immediately with The Matrix, as soon as it was a hit, really, I started hearing, oh, yeah, there's going to be two more. They have this whole thing planned out. And then when I go to see two and three, I'm like, they didn't plan this stuff out. If anything, maybe they wrote it on the back of a napkin and then you know, pour their drink <laughs> on it. <laughs> There is no sense to this, and it does not feel like it was cut from the same cloth as that first film. I'm sorry. Hi, this is Skiz Sizzik, and I like hanging out with John, so you can't go wrong. (laughs) I was in, what, fifth grade when the first one came out, and because my parents never took us to first-run movies. I had to wait for it to become a second-run movie before I could see it. Well, it was one of the biggest movies ever, so it took a year before it became second-run. It's funny that that used to happen. I remember uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was... I remember going to see it in the theater so many times Mm. while it was out, and I think it was like... I remember seeing an ad for it that said, held over for 56th week. That would just never happen, even with a huge, massive hit right now. It would never stay in the theater that long. And that was at a time... Like, Star Wars and Kiss were the biggest things in my universe. (laughs) Um, Even the year leading up to when I finally saw the movie, I already had the comic book. Mm -hmm. I had the trading cards. I had a bunch of the merchandise. So, like, I already knew the movie inside and out before I even saw it. In fact, I made the the Christmas special. I may have seen that before I saw the movie. (laughs) I'd have to check the dates on that. I'm not sure about that. But, I mean, that was like the biggest thing for a fanboy my age at the time. And uh, and then Empire was, was huge when that came out. By the time Jedi came out, I was in high school. I was kind of over it. Mm-hmm. I did finally watch Jedi and was like, what are these teddy bears? What is this? <laughs> and, you know, felt kind of let down. But still... Star Wars and Empire just held this special place in my heart because they were so important, you know, to me at that age. I think I've probably seen Star Wars and Jedi. I I doubt I've seen either of them more than five times. Mm-hmm. Jedi, I think I've probably only seen two or three times. Mm-hmm. And then the three prequel films, I saw each of them once. Yeah, that's <laughs> that enough. Was, that was all I needed. <laughs> uh, I have bought copies of you know star wars and empire uh but i've never watched them yeah um like i keep wanting to sit down and watch them all again and i loved when family guy did their parodies yeah you know i I, well when you know something that well it's great when somebody does that detail oriented of a parody because the things i mean the family guy school of comedy is not always this way it's off frequently it's very obvious jokes but there were a lot of jokes that were purely based on like you would have had to have noticed what an extra was doing in the background (laughs) of a particular shot to make a joke about that and of course again having a kid i see star wars even the prequels through a slightly different scrim than i was seeing them before because i recognize to a six or seven year old the prequels aren't too, right. too, too dumbed down or kitty, and he hasn't yet developed the distaste for overuse of CGI. But even within that, it was funny that when I asked him which ones were his favorite, he said, 
um, you know, Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back were probably the best ones. And it's like he had all these different little kid reasons why, but I was just like, yeah, it's funny that he still is not ready to see a movie and be disappointed in it. Like, he's excited to see something, and we'll go see a movie that I think, you know, even a kid's movie where I'm like, oh, this wasn't that great, but it was two hours in air conditioning. And and he'll, you'll, you can tell that he does sort of know the difference between something really good and something... That was just okay. Yeah. But he doesn't yet have that critical faculty that we all have where we, you know what I mean? Like where you and I can walk out of a movie and pretty and categorize it and be like, eh, that's disappointing. It, I, I think a little kid doesn't really want to deflate the experience of seeing a movie so much. There, I remember reading something when the, when the prequels were coming out and uh, it was about all the people that were hating the prequels. Mm-hmm. And they said something like, remember when the first three movies came out like who liked them? Us kids. Yeah. It wasn't our parents. It was us. Well, mm-hmm. we're now our parents' age, and our kids like these prequels, and we don't because just like the first three, they weren't made for us. Mm-hmm. They weren't made for our age group. They were made for kids. Yeah. <laughs> and I had never thought of that. I, I thought that Star Wars was so good that you didn't have to be any age to to watch it. Although I went and saw it with my parents. I remember I had to explain parts of it to my mother mm-hmm. like she was confused because she's like i thought the guy in the robe with the beard died but then he's giving instructions to these soldiers later i'm like no that was a different guy no that was the same guy like, no it wasn't <laughs> obi-wan died that was mm-hmm. admiral whatever you know yeah. i don't even know <laughs> i can picture the actor you're talking about he is like an, an older guy with kind of a trimmed beard yeah <laughs> well i don't even think he you know he had the sequels in mind when he made the first one. Because otherwise, it's like, dude, you're kissing your sister. <laughs> you know, what's going on there? That's true. They wouldn't have done that on purpose. <laughs> you know? well, Darth Vader's your dad, huh? Okay. <laughs> it's it, it just... I guess that's the problem. Is, is too much of it seems like it was made up as it went along. Like, yeah. I, I wish all six of those films had been thought out before any of them had been made. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a pretty big wish considering how groundbreaking the first one was to begin with. Yeah. I mean, the special effects alone. I, I I remember just seeing the trailer on TV and laser beams, you know, coming out of guns and the lightsabers. Yeah. Like audiences had not seen that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just like so cool looking. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean it was magic. My my little brain was just blowing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I couldn't believe how cool that that movie looked. And you know, the I guess people still talk about the shot near the beginning where it's like the the big spaceship and it's flying over you, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, seeing that on the big screen, it's like how big can this spaceship get? And it just keeps going and going and going. And at, you know, they start off the entire movie by blowing everybody's mind yeah. with a special effects shot. Like, oh, okay, we are in a different galaxy than we have ever seen before. It's like there is still something kind of ingenious about that visual of that ship that keeps on going. And the you, scrolling text. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a new thing, too. It's interesting to think of how that film launched the careers of, like, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher but not Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't, he didn't really do much. <laughs> like he did Corvette summer and one or two others and kind of disappeared. I, I think he was doing voices for cartoons in the nineties. If I remember correctly. Yeah. He had a long run doing the Joker 
And then he's popped up in various things, in, in cartoons, you know, mm-hmm. doing the animated Joker. And then he's popped up a few times in, you know, usually very odd, campy roles that require require him to overact a lot. So, I, I, I mean, I have a lot of affection for Mark Hamill, but I, I don't, and I think he's a very fan-friendly sort of guy, and I always like that. But, I, you know, it is interesting that the guy who was the lead was, the, was not the one that emerged with a career. Have you ever heard the uh, Patton Oswalt routine about meeting George Lucas mm-hmm. and, and George Lucas telling him about the, the prequels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's the thing he says? Like, George Lucas is like that, that uncle that tries to stick a stick in your ear. He's like, I don't mean when you were little. I mean now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole routine. Oh, but I think that kind of hindsight is deceptive. I think that when you're making something like that, you it's, I mean, I can't, I, I can't imagine the stress yeah. of working on something that huge. That's got that many people slobbering for it. Like that doesn't mean I'm not letting it off the hook, but I'm saying I can't imagine having confidence that you're going to, you know, surprise everybody in the right way. Heck, my movies are full of mistakes that I knew I was making while I was making them mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and couldn't fix them then you yeah. know, without taking a few more years and a lot more money to fix them. <laughs> well, hopefully you don't view coming on this podcast with me as one of your life's great creative mistakes. No, no. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I'll, I'll wait till I hear it. But... <laughs> Yeah, if anyone wants to catch up with Ben Ray from Atomic Books, you can follow him on uh, Twitter at MobTownShank. And Mike White, as I mentioned, his podcast, The Projection Booth, is searchable. You can just look for The Projection Booth. Or you can just go directly to their blog at projection-booth.blogspot.com. And also, Skiz, I always tell people just go to skiz.net, which is his uh, website, his kind of hub for all his activity. He's involved in movies and music and what have you, so... So those conversations have kind of brought us back to this issue. We've talked through some things about fandom. And I know before we uh-huh. before we broke away, I mentioned to you, not only did I want to know like what was holding you mm-hmm. at, at arm's length from Star Wars, mm-hmm. and it seemed like maybe it was your mom's interest in yeah. Star Trek that kind of supplanted that. And I said, was Star Trek your Star Wars? But I don't know if we really elaborated that idea. Was Star Trek really the thing that had that all-encompassing impact on you? Or was there something else from your childhood that like hit you at the right time and still tickles your your fancy and that was your thing for a while? Was there anything you just followed religiously? Because I'm not reading, even though you sound like you were, yeah, more, yeah. You were more into Star Trek, yeah, but it doesn't I... sound like Star Trek was your, your it wasn't your world. That's, that's pretty interesting. Good question. I, I think when I was younger, honestly, Back to the Future was probably that thing. Which, just because... It it seemed so real to me. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's nuts. I know what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's it, if somebody explained the a plane of time and how it could be disrupted and so that makes perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. If if he punches him in the stomach, he won't be able to get back to you know what I mean. Yeah, you know the you, cause and effect of that. The cause and effect was very easy for me to understand. And as I got a little older matrix i mean like i was still not too old not too young i mean like it it hit me at an interesting point honestly i think that was it okay if i could so it was 
Back to the Future when I was younger and then Matrix when I was getting to a point where I could aim my obsession. Because mm-hmm. Matrix was kind of an all-encompassing like it thing. Like it's the the outfits, the ideas of like uh choices and the action. I mean, because I saw sword fights, but I had never seen guns and karate mixed together and and people being thrown through walls and and that 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 was kind of, I guess that was the thing mm-hmm. super mainstream but it it was I remember first day for each movie and experiencing it in a way that was so interesting to me that sounds close it's almost like between those two in matrix you had the thing where you got you got into it and you were aware of what was going on. You're yeah. talking about release dates. And then Back to the Future would have been something that you would have experienced when you were younger. It right. would have been around the same age. If, when Back to the Future came out, you were around the same age as mm-hmm. I was when, when uh, Star Wars came out. Maybe a couple of years right, right. younger. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. You didn't really have those two things together. So what I'm saying to you is based on the rational thought you just expressed when you were talking about your appreciation of Back to the Future and The Matrix, mm-hmm. and based on the fact that your appreciation of those things seems to actually be related to the quality of those things, <laughs> I don't think you had a Star Wars. I don't think I had a Star Wars. I don't Wars. think you had something that like Harry stri- Potter wasn't strips away the... your better judgment. Yeah, you know yes. what I mean? Like If you were a little younger, maybe it would have been Lord of the yeah. Rings or Harry Potter. But if you were a little older, maybe it would have been uh, Star Wars. Well, but you didn't have that thing that like, did not. gets past your your defenses and that like you could toss around in bed at night and maybe be thinking about I that did, thing. I didn't. See, so, yeah, that's interesting. And I think that, so here's the thing, here's the interesting thing. I think I'm about to have a resurgence of mm-hmm. this because I am fortunate enough to have a girlfriend that is, the more I talk to her, the more I realize she has these pockets of, of obsession. One, Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. The other, Star Wars. Oh, uh, I, I knew I liked Aaron. Yeah. She should be over here right now talking yeah, to me. <laughs> and I think that what's going to happen is we're going to rewatch them in my adult life. And and I'm not I'm not the type of person that shits on something just because it's a little older. I'm In fact, I'm a little more impressed because I know the feats. I mean, now that I'm creating some sort of art and you create art, you know how hard it is to tell a story. You know how hard it is to create things. So my appreciation for that art like that it's high art man Mm -hmm. it's gonna make this experience so much better and i think i've gathered all the movies and i think we're slowly gonna watch each one um so i'm excited i'm i'm excited beyond words honestly and and i think that once we've watched them and then the new movie comes out i'll be prepared Mm -hmm. but part of it involves being with her and her kind of walking me through. Well, that helps. If you're with someone you care about who's really into it, that definitely helps. But I will tell you something, Ronald. I'm ready to talk to some other people that love Star Wars as much as I do. So I'm sorry. Uh, this this uh, this com- this part of the conversation's over. I hate to cut you off like that. Gasp. I know. But I'm going to talk to uh, my friend Chris a little bit, and we're going to hear from Jonathan Eaton and Becca Weininger. We got on the subject about just how easy it is to talk about Star Wars if you don't ha- if you can't help it. All right. You know, yeah. if you're into something, it'll come up, and and uh, also his sort of predilection for Star Wars Legos. Mm. And uh, then with Chris, we're going to go into a little bit of I- arcane Star Wars trivia that I'm not sure a lot of people know about. And, oh, wow. uh, and then I'll join you back here just to close up the show. Well, hello, Chris. Hey. You may know this episode is all about Star Wars, but more specifically about my Star Wars problem. I think that sometimes seeing it get maligned and seeing people that don't seem to understand it or seeing people that just hate it for, you know, 
there's plenty of good reasons to, to hate on Star Wars. I'm not I'm not saying there aren't, but it it does seem like every now and then you find yourself in the position of defending it. Well, I in my mind I want to when you encounter that person, uh, but I usually don't. Uh actually speak out because I know that it's probably just generational. They were a few years too old, and you can't really probably talk somebody into loving a thing that they would have loved if they were just a few years younger. A few years too old or a few years too young. Right. I know people in their 20s that, you know, see it as this kind of goofy thing from before their time. And you're right. There are a few people that were 14 or 15 when it came out instead of four, as I was. And and for those people, it was always this overly simplistic and childish thing because there is a lot of garbage. If you want to defend Star Wars, there's a lot of stuff to defend that's just not that great. I wouldn't say, I want to defend it to you now. It's not, <laughs> there's not that much stuff. Star Wars is awesome. Lay off the Star Wars, man. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's uh, think of some things. Something about Luke Skywalker is understood as annoying, and Mark Hamill's performance is seemingly understood as annoying, when, in fact, maybe he was supposed to be, like, an immature kid in that in that first movie. So, I don't know, I just wanted to maybe throw that out at you and see if there's any, any thoughts about Mark Hamill or, you know, any words you'd want to say on his behalf, because that does seem to be a sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah, I don't—I uh, never found him annoying, or if he is, it's in moments, and— you know, I think, what's that flashing? What's that flashing is the thing <laughs> that's stuck with people as he's annoying or something. You're talking about a moment from, from Star Wars, the first film. Right. Where where he's in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and he sees something flashing. Right. And he, he <laughs> and he reacts like a like a kid, like a like an annoying little kid would, right. would react in that moment. <laughs> right. But that, and I can, uh, to me, it's, it's by design and it's it's smart and good uh but i think you could find annoying you could you could find mark hamill annoying in all three films and i can defend all of them to me uh if you're a naive farm boy and uh, you just want to get out and fight in a revolution against the empire uh that's an annoying person you know what's that flashing i live in the desert there's no opportunity for me here to have any fun or get any glory and i could fight against an evil oppressive empire and i'm only 14 you know you would that would be a really annoying person to be around <laughs> and so he should be a little bit annoying and i and and he's only a little bit annoying he's not super annoying and if he had too much charisma that that would just be wrong you know i think cuz he's a kid and then in the middle i think that another major point uh that people would pick on is when he is told luke i'm your father and he's like, no, that's impossible. He goes a little crazy with his voice. That's impossible. You know, he's he's really, he's whining. He's bawling. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! But again, I can justify it like I do with the farm boy moment. This moment You've had your hand cut off, and you're hearing that your huge enemy is your father. Uh, for him to keep it together would be wrong. You know, if he's like, hey, that's cool, you know, the, or I'm strong in this moment, that would be ridiculous. And I think the, you know, the, the impact of it comes across because 
he's selling it the way he should, which is, that's impossible, no, you know, that's what you should do, so that's perfect. And then I think he sticks with people as annoying in Jedi because now he is a Jedi master. He's a, you know, it's like somebody who is a master of uh, yoga and meditation or they're completely at peace. You know, if you told them, uh, hey, your best friend's been kidnapped, he'd be like, Okay, I'm gonna take care of this now, and I'm I'm totally calm. Walking into a uh, a gangster's hideout. That's that's that would be annoying to know that person too. The force is strong in my family. My father has it. I have it, and my sister. But again, it's perfectly appropriate. This is somebody who is like a super wise guru and has attained peace. So yeah, that person would be a little bit too much. But I know when I was a kid, I was always uh, uh, a Han guy. Right. You know, in terms of relating to Star Wars, it was Han Solo that I was totally into and that I kind of pinned my hopes on. Again, something that at the time felt like, wow, I'm the renegade, I'm the rogue. But you find out that everybody pretty much thought of Han Solo that way. And so Luke does not have a lot of defenders in that sense, in the sense that a lot of people who loved those films always liked other characters more. You know, people, the iconography of Darth Vader was always very cool. Boba Fett. It's like, we love Boba Fett, this guy who's in it for a few minutes, and he's a bounty hunter and doesn't really talk. Uh, You know, he's super cool. But yeah, I did latch on to Luke as a kid. I didn't relate with cool guy. I, I said, oh, there's the... A naive young kid who who doesn't know how to act around girls. Uh, that's me. So yeah, I, I followed him as as the hero. I, I mean, I say all that just to kind of get around to the point that I think you've always kind of been in Luke's corner, and I've had to come around to it. And honestly, and this is going to sound incredibly corny, but it's very true that having a son made me view Luke in a different way. Because not only was I rewatching the movies, my son's now seven, seeing the way he related to Luke in this pure-hearted way as his kind of point of identification with the movie. Right. He's just a simple kid who got swept up in this thing that he thought he wanted to be part of, and now he's realizing it's more serious and it's more deadly and it's it runs deeper than you thought it did, you know? Right. And that Luke is the linchpin of this, you know, that his good-heartedness and his belief in his father is what is going to be the linchpin of this drama. I started to kind of hear what you're saying more, which is, yeah, in the beginning he was a kid, and in the middle he was struggling with finding out the truth, and at the end he's reached this form of peace, but he still is recognizable maybe to us as a kid who's trying to act like a guru. Right, he is boyish, I think that's, and that makes him perfect for it, because you're watching the adventures of a boy who goes off. And I would defend Mark Hamill more on just like a, a, a like a sweeping historical perspective acting-wise. Like, I can't think of another actor who, uh, and maybe there must be somebody, but I can't think of him, where they did three features in a row and where the character changes character you know sensibly throughout he starts off like we said starts off young and naive and then he becomes competent uh, and traumatized and then he becomes uh, cool and aloof that's the story and this one actor does those three different performances nobody else in star wars is like that if it's a little over the top i think that's correct for the material. Have you seen much of his other work? I haven't seen a lot of him in other stuff. You hear his voice in cartoons all the time, and he's over the top in that, but it's always called for. 
Um, and I feel like when I have seen him on screen, I don't know, I've had the same feeling of like, this is, this is, this is a workman who is uh, getting the job done and, and doing fine. It doesn't bother me. I don't know. I think that he is a fun presence, and I like seeing him pop up, and I'm always kind of glad that, that he's getting work. But I don't know if outside of Luke, he's ever really seemed uh, like... I don't know if I've ever... I've, I don't think I've ever seen him kind of disappear into a world. I right. think the world of Star Wars is so over the top that, that he seems to fit in just fine. But I think any other time I've seen him, it seems like even when he's underacting, he seems like Luke and Jedi, where he's like... I will tell you what I know. Where he's you know? purposely <laughs> underacting. Yeah, I feel like yeah. we could say that he, yeah, he, he didn't make the Star Wars movies a hit, but he kept them from tanking. Like, if he had been bad, the movies would have been bad. I'm Becca Weininger, and this is what I sound like. I'm Jonathan Eaton, and this is what I sound like. <laughs> Yay! Speaking of Star Wars, our cat Stompy <laughs> pissed on Star Wars that one time. I had to throw the, the box away. Oh, yeah, the DVDs. The DVDs came in that mm-hmm. big, the silver box, remember? What if he mm-hmm. pissed on your Legos? What would you do? And it uh, seeped in all the little cracks. I would take them all apart with gloves, and I'd throw them <laughs> in a big tub full of uh, uh, soapy water. I'd wash them really thoroughly, and I would... I would st- still love him but i would just love him a little bit less i gotta say i got a little nervous when you were talking about throwing those things into the soapy water what's that going to do to the decals jonathan have you thought about the decals i haven't until now now i'm worried that he's just home well they're all pretty high they're all really high do you know what i tell myself with any this is what the inner obsessive compulsive nerd inside me says whenever my son because he has tons of lego and i've gotten to live through him and buy him lego you know, and and I'll see. You know, he'll put it together, and I'll like hold off on. I have to. I'm the one that puts the stickers. Is he on. doing it too slow? Because and you're it, like, huh? because or no. like crooked. Well, no, he. But if, if a child puts <laughs> if kid. a child puts stickers on a Lego, it's a mockery <laughs> <laughs> of proper sticker placement. <laughs> and so I'm the one that needs to do it. And I think this goes back to the the year I realized there was no such thing as Santa Claus was when I looked at the Star Destroyer playset I had gotten the Kenner Star Destroyer playset, and the decals were put on in the wrong spots, and I. Had had this moment of like Santa's elves wouldn't have done this and I looked at my dad and I was like he would have done this you know like he, he, he was in a hurry and that's when it finally clicked star what nah. yeah right um but um I remember that place that thing was awesome yeah I think, I think my brother had that's it. the one that had Darth Vader's like chair yeah the chamber yeah yeah you play with that all the time yeah we're geeking out <laughs> but um God, what were we saying that got us on to... Oh, you just said, speaking of Star Wars. Yeah, that's all I said. <laughs> Maybe that should be the name yeah. of our new podcast. That should be the name of, of our podcast. Yeah. Absolutely. I almost came up with a podcast, an actual podcast, just to call the podcast My Star Wars Problem. And every week <laughs> I would talk... Because I frequently... I mean, I have friends that we've said... Let's stop talking about Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And then within 20 minutes, we'll be back to, you know, it's just like in, you know. Yeah. And it does, it's good examples. It's bad examples. It's got, maybe that's what's great about it. I just, yeah. Like, it's there's so something, pervasive. It's yeah. very pervasive. And there's just something like weirdly magical about it because uh, David, our friend David, I've known him since kindergarten. I have known him for ugh, like 25 years, maybe. I don't know. A really long time. I've known him longer than maybe anybody else. And um, we've been having the same Star Wars argument. <laughs> just the same ones. Every time we talk on the phone, we end up talking about Star Wars. And it's just like, it's. I know I'm always saying the same thing. I know he's always saying the same thing. It just feels like a new argument every time, right. though. It's like, ah, I still love... 
yelling about George Lucas with you. <laughs> so great. Well, everyone's been playing that game ever since the prequels came out. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that we've all we all realized that there wasn't we were, much to yell about before then, except for like Ewoks. Well, we realized <laughs> that we were better at it than he was. When we saw Phantom Menace, we realized that we had better ideas <laughs> yeah. about Star Wars than he did. You well, know, because like I remember Santa Claus isn't real. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> very much so. God, yeah. man, Star Wars and Santa Claus—they're both not real. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> We're, well, we've, we've often said that we, like, complement each other very well, yeah. personality-wise. Like, whatever, yeah. whatever, like, you're strong in, I'm lacking in, and vice versa. Yeah. So, works out pretty well. Describe in details all the ways that she's lacking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, let's see. <laughs> Certainly doesn't buy enough Legos for me. <laughs> I buy you so many you Legos. You more Legos than anyone. <laughs> it's true. I Never buy you mind. more Legos for Christmas than people buy their children. <laughs> my, my... <laughs> My Christmas presents are better than when I was a kid. It's amazing. <laughs> ah, the married childless <laughs> and their expendable dollars for each other. It's so, so cute. Whiskey and Legos. <laughs> I am so bad at Legos and I don't enjoy it. Like every now and then he'll have me help him or like you'll buy me those tiny ones. Yeah, I bought you a couple like, of little I don't sets. understand where this piece goes. I just, my brain doesn't work like that. Well, I remember the build, first. I can't like. I don't know. The first time you ever bought me a Lego set was the Darth Vader TIE Fighter. This was mm. years ago. This was, was shortly after we had started dating. You came over. You, were, you weren't even living there yet. It was shortly after we were dating. And you had bought me a... I don't even remember why. It might have just been a random present. But but you bought me a Lego. And it was... It Back was, when I was working at Starbucks. You were working at Starbucks and I was working... Spent all my money somehow. The late shift. <laughs> I feel like I had more money than I do now. I was working the late shift at Discovery, so it had to have been like 11 o'clock at night that like you came over and like you're like, here, like Lego. And I started to open it. And I remember you were like, oh, you're going to build that now? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I have, I have to build it. What are you... I'm going to wait? And you're like, isn't that going to take forever? And I'm like looking at it, I'm like, no. It took you like an hour. It's gonna take, it took me, yeah. I was just yeah. like, it's not going to take me forever. And I built it. And you were like, I have no idea how you, fast, well, how just, you built it like, so fast. I didn't understand the concept of you follow directions and then you build a thing. We just had a bucket <laughs> of Legos. Yeah. We didn't have instructions. So yeah. we built the same house over and over. We built the same plane over and over. And that was it. <laughs> but like we weren't following the instructions. We, we didn't have any mm-hmm. except for the super sexist like little girl Legos. We had Which they still make. Those. Yeah, that's sad. They're yeah. pink and purple. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the little Lego friends. I was talking to my mom yeah. about that recently, kitchens. and my mom was getting really defensive, like, well, that didn't screw you up or anything, did it? Oh, my God. Like, no, but it could have. Yeah. <laughs> no, Mom, <laughs> that's so not what screwed me up. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> it's not the point. It's not the point I'm making. Mother, I want to feel outraged at something, and today I've chosen Legos, yeah. you know? There's so much like outrage. Gender binary, Mom. <laughs> it's still not okay. Like it's it all kitchen stuff and baby changing yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's real and sexist. And it's pink and purple. It's insane. It's very it sexist. Comes with a little diaper. Those um, those Nerf guns. There's there's like and there's oh. there's regular Nerf guns that like have all they're the same as the. I have a point to make that I don't want to forget. There's okay. I'll you be real quick. Off. There's the regular Nerf guns, and I say regular just as in like the way the Nerf guns have always looked. And then but now there's new like girl Nerf guns that are just pink Nerf guns, but they're called like Rebel, and yeah. it's like girls on them, <laughs> and they're the super thing. pink, and I'm like. Just give the regular Nerf guns to girls. That's the 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 whole thing is the idea <laughs> that, like that there's forty years. There's the regular thing and then the girl thing. Yeah, it's like the regular thing isn't for both. The regular thing isn't for boys. It's just 
Or it's, it's just not the like, weight. It's yeah. not the boy thing and the girl thing. It's the regular thing, obviously, the, for boys. And then here's your girl one. Yeah. It's yeah. like what they're oh, doing. Oh, you want a little bow and arrow? It's like, like what they're <laughs> doing with the Ghostbusters movie. Oh, that yeah. That makes me want to kill myself. So what is it about the Ghostbusters movie thing that, that makes you want to kill yourself? Because there's several different levels yeah. of Oy. cynicism in that, I yeah. think. Yeah. So. Um, and uh. yeah, I've... I've not been reading things on the internet about it, and I know I'm just sure in case men's rights activists are being horrible. I'm not a men's rights activist. No, but just, just in case anyone does it, yeah. I think, I think this is my wife, the men's rights activist. Yeah. <laughs> that would be shocking, but you know yeah. what? <laughs> There it would be the you'd be the best face they... yet for men's rights <laughs> activism. But um, let's just just yeah. So like they they talked for years about doing another Ghostbusters mm-hmm. movie, and then there was talk of re, there's what that always talked about like doing it with the original guys, and then that mm-hmm. evolved into maybe doing it with them passing the torch to some younger guys, mm-hmm. and then that turned into this new version that they announced, which was the all female version of Ghostbusters. Yeah, which. Uh, you know, the news reaction to that was they went through a cycle and then they announced that there was going to be an all boys version on the heels of that. So mm-hmm. I wonder, like, at what level of this do you start to get annoyed? Uh, the first level was, yeah, the immediate <laughs> which was level. when there was going to be an all girls one. And then yeah. when I heard there was going to be an all boys one, my brain exploded. <laughs> because if <laughs> anyone out there. You're has... doing well for someone with an exploded <laughs> Thank brain. You. Yeah. I have to reel it in. Yeah. You know, um, anyone out there with a dictionary or a brain knows that the definition of feminism is that men and women are equal. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not that women have their thing and then men have their thing and they're really far apart and, and they don't talk separate. to each other yeah. and they don't work with each other and they don't write with each other. But here's your thing for girls to look at and here's your thing for boys to look at. That's not what it is. Oh, but thank God a dude is writing all of it. Like, that's even a whole other story. <laughs> I know. I'm well, there's actually, I know there's like, a female screenwriter on the on the female is Ghostbusters. There? I thought it was Paul Feig. Or is he just I, producing? He's co-writing it with Katie Dippold, I think is her name. I just feel like it's a little bit patronizing to be like, here you go, women. Here's your Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many women love the original Ghostbusters? Yeah. All of them, because it's so <laughs> good. Because it's a great movie. We don't need our own thing where they're girls, and and um, I don't have a lot of faith in it to not just be, like, super sexist representation. Like, let's be gross and talk about a period or something. Be, yeah, it's just going to be like, bridesmaids, well, here's the boy but one. ghosts. You're just, like, separate, you know, intentionally separating the sexes is not what's what anyone wants it's not the right way to do it it's not the right way to do feminism it would be a combination of both things for both groups of people for both demographics I would be shocked if they it. didn't make a period joke. I would be shocked yeah. if they didn't make like an eating an ice cr- eating ice cream in your pajamas joke. Yeah. Like I will be shocked if they don't make all of those jokes in the female Ghostbusters. Yeah. Ooh, look how look how girly they are, but they're fighting ghosts. Men it's... bust ghosts like this. Women bust yeah. ghosts like this. Yeah. I just I feel like the best things are on ensemble pieces. Yeah. I yeah. don't think that the sexes need to be separated for feminism to be good. Agreed. That's, that's my stance on it. Right. <laughs> I don't like the idea that, like, as a woman, the idea that I would need a Ghostbusters with only women in it to be a good Ghostbusters for me to consume, I think is insane. Yeah. So, Chris, another thing I've noticed people love to to mention about Star Wars, in particular, I guess, any kind of fantasy or any kind of, like, storytelling that takes a break from reality like that. Mm-hmm. People love to point out plot holes. Like people who are not into that particular story or that particular genre love to, like, nitpick something because of little plot holes and little inconsistencies like that. I mean, do you find that? Does that bother you when you're watching a fantasy story? If 
if there are certain leaps of logic that you have to meet the movie more than halfway or or do you do you uh you know do you just kind of go with the flow not sure how to put this it 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 bothers me if it bothers me you know if if during the movie i'm struck with what how did he get there you know or whatever it is then yeah it hurts me and takes me out of the movie but if i it, it always seems like those people are the ones who just were not having a good time, were not into the movie, and so something like that jumped out at them. And if I'm having a good time and, and, and enjoying the movie, maybe it's less likely that I would notice that little thing or something. I, I don't know. I mean, if it's glaring, it will come out at you no matter how great the movie is, and then it will bring down the movie. So it has to not be glaring. But I, to me, they get through the first three movies without any glaring problems. There is one that has always bothered me, and I didn't know if this one's ever bothered you, but have you ever heard anyone complain about this idea that if they were really trying to hide Luke from Darth Vader, why would they not change his name? Are they really doing their due diligence in terms of trying to hide this kid <laughs> if he's right. hidden right. Un- under under the, the most evil guy in the galaxy's birth name? You know? Right. No, that is a, a good one and does hurt your heart when you think about it. But again, that's kind of brought up by the prequels because as a kid— we just didn't think about that because we didn't think about Darth Vader's name being Anakin Skywalker so much, so it wouldn't jump out at you. But then when you get into the whole backstory, you yeah, you would say, oh, why didn't they change his name to Smith? This has always kind of bugged me, and I think it has bugged a lot of people. And it's especially galling to think that they tried to answer this question as far back as 1984, you know? Oh, they tried to kind of carry on the adventures of these characters like a year after Return of the Jedi on a sitcom on CBS called Han and Chewie. What? It was part of CBS's effort to create its Monday night lineup around the idea of one person's name, the word and, and another person's name. And they already had Scarecrow and Mrs. King, Kate and Allie, and Cagney and Lacey. And at the beginning of the fall 1984 television season, they briefly replaced Newhart with Han and Chewie. No. How did I miss this? This is insane. Well, it's got kind of a weird story. All the original cast members were back. I mean, it's definitely Harrison Ford as as Han Solo. It's definitely Billy Dee Williams as uh, Lando Calrissian. They they had to recast Luke because Mark Hamill was trying to distance himself from the role at this point. And they, for budgetary reasons, I think, they used a giant dog to play Chewbacca. I think it was a Malamute. How long did it run? I think that's the most interesting part of the story, is that they canceled it about halfway into the first episode. Though there were 30 episodes filmed, Uh, only one segment has ever been seen uh, by anyone. Oh my god. It's buried. It's like in the Lucas archives. Supposedly, he destroyed the tapes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can't believe I missed this. Yeah, right there between Kate and Allie and Cagney and Lacey, uh, in September of 1984, uh, the Star Wars canon answered the question of why Luke Skywalker... Uh, didn't change his name, and no one remembers it. Oh, wow. And if you, I mean, I found the clip online, and it is a tantalizing glimpse into what could have been. Would you like to check out the clip? Oh, my God, of course. Can't believe I've never seen this. Are, are you sure this is something you didn't just record on your own with uh, Ronald and you? No, Chris, <laughs> this is totally real. Okay, let's go. Just play it. Yeah, Chewie, I don't like this place either. We need to find some work now that the Star Wars are over. I've heard this intergalactic shipping company is hiring smugglers. No questions asked. Relax. Just stay close. You never know what kind of degenerate scum we're going to run into around here. On, you old pirate. See what I mean? What brings you here, Lando? 
I practically run this starport. Anything that goes in or out, I get a taste of the action. The question is, why are you here? Looking for work? Why didn't you say so? The smugglers I usually hire are the worst kind of filth. You'll fit right in. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Wait, that's Luke. Let me see what he wants. Yeah, Luke, what is it? Honda Rebellion needs you. C-3PO got lost at the space zoo, and we can't find him. Sure, kid. What's the pay? I hoped you might do this from the goodness of your heart. Haven't you learned this lesson already? Linda, what does your job pay? Name your price, you old scoundrel. I'll call you later, farm boy. Sounds like I just got a new job. May the force be with So when do I start? Hey, speaking of Luke, I've always wondered, if the whole plan when he was born was to hide him from his evil father, why didn't they change his name? Seems like Darth Vader would have been looking for anyone called Skywalker. Oh, that's easy. Skywalker is just a really common name in that part of the galaxy. It would have been conspicuous if they had changed it. Ugh, I'm sorry I asked. What, you thought it was for some other reason? No, that's just the most boring answer I've ever heard. Yeah, keep laughing, furhead. I got you. <laughs> oh, God. You can both suck it! <laughs> so, now you've seen it. I mean, do you feel like your whole understanding of Star Wars has changed a little bit? Wow. That was worse than the Christmas special. Oh, it really was. It really was terrible. You know, the funny thing is, that dog, who, by the way, looks almost nothing like Chewbacca, when they were filming the 15th episode, he mauled one of the extras, and they kept it in. What? Ugh. I know it's disgusting, but it fits in with the standard studio practices of the time. Sorry, what? What, Ronald? Hey, um, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, uh, but I've kind of been sitting listening to you guys talk about all this stuff and i've I, I feel like we've kind of i've kind of worn out my welcome oh that's fine uh we were just gonna watch this clip about uh 10 more times and pick it apart you know if you want to leave ronald you can just say you want to leave you don't have to say you've worn out your welcome you're welcome to sit here and listen to us talk about star wars into the night i feel like at some point i'm gonna have to hit the dusty trail right is that is that how people say they have to leave i mean that's how cowboys say Me and it. cowboys yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, I kind of have something to do. Oh, what do you have to do that's so important, Ronald? You know the 90s fat pogs? Yeah. Uh, well, I never stopped. I have a kajillion of them, and I have to organize them by uh, culture reference. And now I'm in, I'm in the Power Rangers pile, and I'm kind of working that. And I have a slammer with an eyeball. And if you gotta... think organizing pogs sounds more fun than listening to two middle-aged Star Wars fans analyze a random bit of trivia away with you as far as i'm concerned well i appreciate the historical context of it all but <laughs> I t- come on man <laughs> okay well let's do our official stuff and then we can we can end this like gentlemen uh, oh i appreciate it and then i'll come back later and shit on something you love <laughs> okay just remember you can reach me touchy touchy on uh, twitter at infotasement you can send an old-fashioned email to me at john w at secondcoursemedia.com and uh, that'll get to me And aside from that, I just want to say thank you for listening. Please spread the word. We're enjoying making this show. We think it's a lovely show. Mm -hmm. It would be a shame if something happened to it. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm kind of doing the uh, the the gangster thing where you threaten somebody by saying how nice something <laughs> is, and then you you so it'd be a real shame if something something bad happened to this show, Ronald. Don't you think? Wouldn't it be a shame if uh, lack of listeners caused me to say what the fuck am I doing working on this show? Well, if your car wound up on fire, yeah, what are you gonna do? do with it? Hey. Well, I got to tell you something, John. I think I know what it's gonna be. <sighs> this podcast is over. For Your Infotainment is produced by John Walker for the Second Course Media Podcast Network. So, yeah, I just, uh... Did you accidentally hit the mute button? Yes, goddammit. <laughs>